So keeping that sense of inner presence to the body, and let that be a background for this next period of time. I wanted to say a few words to really begin exploration of our theme of integration of embodied practice with our lives. We've talked some about that in terms of the transition at the end of yesterday. And we'll, in a number of different ways, look at ways to bring that sense of presence to the body into daily life. So I just wanted to mention pretty briefly a few ways, some of which may be familiar to you, some of them not. Then we'll do a short uh, silent practice, and then we'll start to explore a further kind of practice that's a little bit more like daily life. I won't tell you what it is quite yet. So I don't know if I'm um, in an archetypal realm, but I came up with seven practices (laughs) for daily life. And when I was young, seven was my favorite number, you know, when they asked. (laughs) And blue was my favorite color. So I do have seven. didn't make that connection until just this moment, but. (laughs) So, a first and really crucial aspect for many of us, maybe most of us, is to have a formal meditation practice where we can regularly connect with the body. Again, we have this balance, when we look at the theme of integration, we have this balance of strengthening our capacities in protected environments. Uh, They can be protected group environments of dance, meditation, yoga, some other kind of training or practice. And they can be the protected environments just at home where we develop certain capacities. And that's really crucial to keep those capacities developing. In this case, uh, in a meditative way, it would be mindfulness of the body, presence to the body. So it could be, again, the core practices we've developed here have been three in terms of formal meditation, uh, working with the breath, with the whole body or part of the body. Um, And I'll get to walking meditation. It's actually number two, so it'll come in soon. But the, uh, so it could be those formal sitting practices of being with the breath, being with the whole body. If you're drawn to work with the practice with the elements, that's another potential practice. You know, you may want to really uh, work with the elements in both meditation, uh, sitting meditation, maybe walking meditation, and also in the dance. It'll be um, supported if you have Heather's CD. (laughs) <laughs> or me, that's right. Or, or stay working with Heather. So, sorry, we, I don't usually have advertisements in my talks, but couldn't avoid it just now. Okay. It's an offering. An offering, yeah. It's Donna. <laughs> Donna, back to you guys. Okay, okay. And so um, that practice quite, 
quite important. I mean, there are other meditative body practices, quite a number of them. I, if you are interested in going further, Reggie Ray has a book and has a whole series of uh, CDs on breathing with the body, quite elaborate practices, bringing in a lot of the Tibetan practices. A teacher who's often around here, actually moved here recently, named uh, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, Tibetan teacher, has a book, Awakening the Sacred Body, which has a number of different body practices, more working with the energetic body in that system with chakras and channels and so forth. And there are very simple practices. So there are a number of practices. A beautiful practice, which, which I've done a lot, which we haven't done here, which one can do meditatively, is really connecting with the belly energy. I find that very, very crucial for centering. You know, to be, it's a martial arts technique as well, but to really be with the energy of the belly or what in um, Japanese martial arts is called the hara, or in Chinese tradition, the tan tian. It's like the center, a little bit below the navel. And it's a meditative practice I, I did actually for about two years of just really focusing there until it gets brought into everyday consciousness more. And so there are practices like that. One could also develop that in other ways. So there are a whole series of uh, body practices like that that strengthen awareness of the body. There also are ways to work with the body when other states of mind come up, which we haven't gone into much. It really related to some of the questions this morning about working with sorrow. But the body is a tremendous refuge and a tremendous support for working with all sorts of states of mind. I'll just give a few examples. If you have a strong sense of the body and you notice a repetitive thought, it's a very helpful practice to bring the awareness like to the center of the chest and just hang out there. And sometimes what is driving the repetitive thought becomes revealed through, through the body. Body is an access place when one can tune into it to what the mind can't always know. It's quite beautiful, used very extensively in different forms of psychotherapy. You know, that one uses the body as a way to access the unconscious, really. And, but that simple practice is quite a beautiful one of going to the body when there's repetitive thought. Your mindfulness notices, okay, I've thought that thought now in this half hour sitting, this is the 27th time. <laughs> that constitutes repetition. <laughs> okay, and I will then, and then actually bring the attention and without trying to make anything happen, without a doing, but just a resting, that can be a very powerful practice. And also to stay with the body sometimes when there are difficult emotions can be very grounding. Sometimes if the area of the center gets very strong, uh, you can actually, if you can use that when you feel a little off-center. You know, for a lot of years, I think I was raised really to be emotionally quite open, you know, especially, um, I, I, don't, I think, you know, the culture didn't exactly strengthen me in that, you know, being a man and grow, growing up in the culture, but I think there was a naturally uh, an open heart and I used to cry at Driver Ed movies. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's trying, supposed to demonstrate something. <laughs> so, and and uh, what I found was that, you know, as in other ways, heart developed, 
um, without a grounding in the body, I was often knocked around emotionally. And so the grounding in the body and the grounding, particularly I found in the center area, very, very helpful when there's a lot of emotional energy and emotional distress. can be very, very helpful. And that's something we're not trying to get rid of it, but just actually not to be taken away by it, by the emotions. So there's a lot more we could say about that. We were getting into that this morning. But just to kind of use that as a tag to say, it's a very, very large area to see how can the body be a support for working with all sorts of states. And if there's a grounding in the body, and particularly a centering, can be very, very helpful. Second is the walking meditation. Very, very wonderful practice and a, and a key way that mindfulness of the body can enter into the flow of daily life uh, because you can decide to, uh, when you're ever you're walking, to be in your body. When I was a student and I was learning meditation, I didn't have a car, I was living in Boston, and I said, I complain that I don't have enough time for meditation. Let me have all of my times of walking, and there was quite a lot of it, be uh, walking meditation. And whatever is that the great insights that I come to when I'm just absent-mindedly walking, I, I'll let go of those. <laughs> so, so we can use times of walking, or you can, you know, another practice I did for quite a while was after a, a lunch, particularly, I would take a five or ten minute walk when it was possible. Use walking meditation like that. What I find is that if that there's clarity about when you're doing it, and there's uh, almost a ritual quality to it, like every day after lunch or something like that, if that works for you, or it could be something like that. It could be that you, you, uh, you do something like what we did. After you've taken a nap, you come back and you have dancing for ten minutes, something like that. That gets rid- I found that when you ritualize aspects of daily life, there's a strength and a support that's not there if you kind of think, oh, when am I going to do this? That's just to mention. Um, a third is to really have a body practice, like uh, other, other than a meditative practice, like dance, yoga, qigong, swimming, jogging, something like that. And when you're doing those practices, really say, this is a time for presence to the body. And something like that can really accelerate if we have something like that, and we're really devoting it to uh, presence to the body, uh, can really accelerate the development of uh, awareness in the body. And again, remembering what I said this morning, sometimes, you know, I remember over the years doing yoga classes and having considerable amount of my attention comparing myself to what other people were doing, right? That's not awareness of the body, <laughs> right? That, that is, uh, but we tracked that. That was one of my points this morning. It was notice what takes you away from mindfulness of the body, right? But you can take these practices as uh, body practices like that. The fourth is seeing uh, how we can have various kinds of daily life activities that are, that are uh, uh, common, that appear every day. Can I take those as times to be aware? And again, I think it's helpful if it's ritualized some. You know, you can have one silent meal a day okay? and be with the food, be with your body, be with the taste, if that works for you. Or something like, uh, um, I remember Sylvia Borstein once said to me something that really landed 
whenever I take a shower, I just am aware of my body and how pleasant it feels. And that stayed with me and said, showers, mindfulness of the body, <laughs> right? Something like that. So maybe you'll spread the practice to your friends and neighbors <laughs> and family. So finding little things that we do, again, I, what really helps is if it gets somewhat ritualized, so you do it just every time. Washing the dishes, brushing your teeth, just take. This will be my mindfulness of the body practice. Don't try to do too much. I'm mentioning a lot of things. I'm not expecting myself or anyone else to do all of them. But I'm rec- I actually would just recommend one or two things at a time. Not very much. You know, uh, you know if, if, if uh, having a regular meditation is something that's not established, have that be your one thing. You know? If it is established, you can do something else. Right? Or one or two things. Not, not to do too much. Just take one or two of these suggestions and do it for a period of time, a week, two weeks, a month. And when it gets somewhat established, you can go on to something else. That's, that's what I find works. It doesn't work to do everything at once for most people. In fact, I have never met anyone for whom it works. <laughs> okay. So the, the sixth is finding ways to bring mindfulness of the body into your work. can be challenging if you're on a computer a lot, but take breaks, you know. Come back to the body. There are all sorts of apps. You can have the computer tell you every 20 minutes, Donald, it's time for mindfulness of the body. <laughs> you can do it. Just find ways to have a little bit of awareness. If you're doing manual work or, you know, like working in a garden or doing, it's actually easier. It's harder with more mental type of work. If you're doing work that's more manual labor, you can really have some of that be mindfulness of the body. There's a potential also for developing mindfulness of the body in the midst of interaction and speech. I'm going to do a short exercise on that in a little while. It's become an interest of mine because I teach quite a bit on speech and communication and do retreats on that. I'll actually do one next June where that'll be a core theme. We'll be developing we sometimes talk about it as the capacity to have inner and outer awareness at the same time. Not easy. More advanced cap- capability, but it, it suddenly turns one's talking with others into time for mindfulness of the body. Again, not a, not a first-level practice. I'll go more into that in a moment, because we're going to take us through a version of that in a, in a small way. And then the last is... Uh, Really, it's, it's much like we do in the dance. It's taking the body as a refuge. This is maybe more general. It's really coming back to the body, having the body become more and more a friend that is there. And I'm feeling difficult emotions. I come back to my body. Or I engage the body in some movement, some activity, where, which gets the energy going. You know, I, I mentioned that I, uh, I think that I do, yeah, that I do a fair amount of swimming. And um, I found that after meetings or difficult, something might have been difficult interpersonally or emotional, that that vigorous exercise actually balances and calms my nervous system in a way which really is kind of a refuge and things sort themselves out. And so having the body become more of a friend that we can 
go to sometimes when our mind is overly active. We go to the body, like I was mentioning before. can be a refuge. And uh, I'll close with something that uh, really had a big influence on me. Uh, when I was engaging in a number of body practices, and I was, uh, for a period of about four years, I worked a lot with uh, John Travis, who is uh, you know, a dear friend, and uh, we teach together quite a bit. And how many of you know John? Yeah. And uh, for a period of time, he, you know, we were doing a lot of body practices because he's really a teacher of the body. And one day I was uh, complaining to him. And I was saying that, you know, look at those people who live in monasteries. They have, it, they have so much support. You know, and trying to live, even, you know, even in the Bay Area, Right? Even the Bay Area, even with Spirit Rock, I didn't say that, but you know, could they could have. And with everything, it's hard. It's hard to remember. It's hard to practice. You know, it's so easy being in a monastery. Those people in monasteries here or in Asia. You know, I think we were talking about Tibetan monasteries in Nepal. And I said it's so easy. And then he said, "Let your body." be your monastery. Yeah, and I said, whoa. <laughs> I said, whoa. That something that we would say it landed. It was electrifying, actually, in the moment. You know, and it's really stayed with me. And, and if that's a useful phrase for you, I offer that. It really is that sense of the the refuge, the companion, the presence, the access to presence that is always there. The access to presence that is always right there. We'll have some chance to talk about this a little later, but I want to offer those and then do a short sitting and then maybe just three or four minutes, and then do an exercise. So why don't we just move back into silence. And I think I'll begin, actually, the silence with a reflection related to my, to my talk. And that reflection is, that I'm inviting, is twofold. The first is, what from anything that I explored in that talk particularly felt meaningful for you? Well, let me, I'll give the two reflections first and then just some period of, of quiet. So the first is, what might have been there in my talk that might have been meaningful to you or most meaningful? And and it might be related. The second is, what one or two body practices do you most feel called on to bring into your own life as we, uh, let's say, in the period after our two-day retreat. First is what might have been meaningful that was 
from the talk. The second is, what one or two um, intentions do you have to develop further body practices or support an existing one, however you want to take it? What one or two things strike you as good intentions for yourself coming from our two days together? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.